0: Good it's good to see you and to be able to be together and to worship God. We're, we're grateful for that. We're thankful that we have visitors. We welcome you, appreciate that you're among us. And uh, we look forward to, to our time together afterwards. Uh, and uh, we hope you can come back and join us, other opportunities that you have. I did want to uh, tell you thanks for a, th- a personal thank you for the prayers for Alyssa and let you know that uh, I told her we were praying for her here. She said to please tell the church thank you on her behalf. So I wanted to relay that to you, and most especially uh, solicit your prayers for her soul, uh, as uh, uh, we also pray for health. We especially remembering, and I know you do, pray for for uh, souls of those who are, are straying and wandering, and I appreciate that very much. The Bible contains a lot of. Thou shalt nots. And a lot of people don't like that. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, they, they, they have, uh, you know, some, some, that's kind of all they see when they think about the Bible is, oh, it's just a bunch of don't do this, don't do that. Uh, and um, uh, unfortunately, that skewed view of the Bible and of what it means to be a Christian uh, infects the way they think, and and consequently, it becomes a barrier to people at times from from giving an, an open and and uh, an open hearted assessment, really, of what the gospel says. You know, uh, it, it's on the face of it, it, it's very clear that the Bible is not simply a, a collection of "thou shalt nots." Jesus said, "You shall." Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and and your neighbor as yourself. So, so for every thou shalt not, uh, we can probably find a you shall do this. and Of course, that that's about as objectionable to some as the thou shalt not is <laughs> when when uh, when we come face to face with God saying you must do certain things, and and so uh, you see whether it's the one or the other, um, we can develop an attitude toward the Bible that that uh, is not healthy for our souls uh, and is not going to be conducive to us uh, understanding and progressing in our knowledge of God, of His will, and of, and of actually living it in our lives to be blessed by Him now and eternally. So, you know, some some will just... When they, they look at the, the thou shalt not, just, it's just a wholesale, I'm going to reject it. You know, thou shalt not. I just... Uh, they reject the Bible, reject God, reject the concept of truth. Uh, others, you know, are, we're tempted sometimes to cherry pick what we like in the Bible. You know? Marie um, sent me a little, a little statement a thing last night that said, too much sugar preaching leads to truth decay. I like that. <laughs> I wrote a spirit... Sword tip about that tonight, so you'll probably see that in the morning. You know, too much, much sugar preaching. <laughs> well, some we just we cherry pick, we candy pick. We we, we want to listen to what pleases us, uh, like that sugar. Um, but but truth is eroded, It is decayed if that's all we are interested in. The Bible says. Preach the word, be, urge, uh, be urgent in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine and teaching. So, so we can't cherry pick God's word and, and really be, while we might feel content doing that, we're, we're not pleasing God because God didn't, didn't say just, you know, He didn't hold His word out like, like a buffet tray and say, so you just, you pick, pick the things you like and, and it'll be okay. You know, that's, that's, not, that's not how truth is revealed to us. Then on the other hand, some brethren scold us because we teach the thou shalt not, the do not passages. They'll scold us and say, well, you're too, you're too negative. You're not being positive enough. Uh, some would even say, well, you're being legalistic and you're discouraging people when you talk about the do nots and the thou shalt nots and about sin, that, that you're, 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 you're just becoming a hindrance to people. So there's all kinds of reactions people get and have and, and give um, when, when we investigate, especially this idea of the thou shalt not concept in the Scriptures. But something that always seems to, to surface, uh, or it should at least for us, when we start thinking that way, is something Paul wrote in Romans 9 in verse 20. He said, "...Indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God?" Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? It's really uh, pretty arrogant for us to to, to to begin to judge the Word of God uh, as unworthy of our consideration because uh, it imposes something upon us, our Creator, because He has he has. I, you know, impose all oh, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? you know, because God's commanded some things of us, but see when God commands some things of us, he necessarily warns us against some other things he says don't do this, why because it 's sin because i don 't want you to sin i don't want you to be lost, I want you to be saved, so I want you to do this, I want you to follow jesus so so do this, don't do that, and really, who are we to start? To, you know, to reply against God and say it shouldn't be that way. Well, that kind of all is introductory to, to help us begin to think about these things in terms of Ephesians five, because there, as John read for us in Ephesians five fifteen through eighteen, there are three "thou shalt nots" or "do not do" certain things three different times. He says, "Don't be a fool." He said, "Don't." Uh, he says, uh, "Don't be unwise." And, uh, and, and or I should say, he, he says, be careful not to walk uh, uh, in a careless way. Uh, don't be a fool and don't be drunk with wine. So, there's, thou shalt not. But at the same time, there's the, the counterpoints to that. So, that's really what we want to study tonight. Just for a few moments, look at what he says here. When he says, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools... But as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Do not walk carelessly. Here's the first do not. Do not walk carelessly. Walking is a, a blessing, a blessing we take for granted until we begin to have problems with walking, right? Until it starts, you know, a hip hurts or a knee hurts or, you know, and, and then we have to walk carefully. We have to, to, to be be cautious about how we walk. Well, spiritually, He says we've got to do that. We have to see that we walk circumspectly. Now, several words here. Let's just review and remind ourselves what it means when He says, see that you walk carefully. First of all, the word see sounds easy enough. To look. It means to behold or to perceive. So, see to it. You see, attend to this very thing we've got to attend to our own life uh, you know parents attend to their children and they can't tend to themselves but as when the, the the children grow the children have to attend to themselves have to tend to themselves be careful for their own life we become morally responsible and accountable for ourselves we are each accountable for ourselves so he says see see to it then see, you see to it i see to it we have to see to ourselves we have to to uh, be warned, be watching, be beholding, take heed, to walk in a certain way. The word walk is a way of life, that uh, a course of conduct. The, the book of Ephesians uses that several times. And throughout the Scriptures, the idea of walking is the idea of going from one place to another. So it's a, it's a course of conduct. It's the way that we we're, we're, are going We're either living the way, the narrow way that leads to life or the broad way that leads to destruction. There is a way. And he says, now see that, see that you walk or that your way of life, your conduct is circumspect. Now we don't use that word a whole lot. We use the word careful. To be careful, look circumspectly is to look all around, to be exacting and diligent in the course of life that we choose for ourselves. In fact, this word careful or translated circumspect in some of our our versions uh, is the same word in Matthew 2 and verse 8 when Herod told the wise men to go to Bethlehem and to search out this king that's been born. Now you remember he had... He had evil motives, but it said, "Go and search carefully for the young child. Search carefully. So look thoroughly." Is idea if we're going to walk, if we're going to see that we walk carefully, we're going to see that we are thorough in our in in, in our course of life. In other words, our spiritual life is going to be thorough. Um, it, it, it's not going to be hopscotch. It's not going to be random. It's not going to be foot you know, filled with holes. We're going to carefully and thoroughly assess and choose a life that is orderly. Luke 1.3 Ordered by truth. Luke said he took it in hand to write an orderly account of the life of Jesus. Same word. And so, so to look carefully, look circumspectly, is to look thoroughly at the landscape of our life, at the way that I'm living, and set out in an orderly way to be accurate in the way that I live, and he'll go on to explain that. The word accurate or accurately, the words used twice in Acts eighteen twenty five, Aquila and Priscilla taught Apollos the way of the Lord more accurately. More thoroughly, more completely, and Acts twenty two and twenty uh, four twenty two, Felix had a, uh, had a, a more uh, accurate knowledge of the way. He knew some things about the gospel that others did not. So, so to look, see to it, look to be careful. Look to yourself to set a course of life that is exacting, that is diligent, and, and thorough. In The way that you live. Now, the thoroughness is going to have to do with being wise and not being fools. It's going to have to do with the will of God as He goes on to talk about. You see, we're just beginning this sentence. If you go back to our text, Ephesians 5, there in verse 15, See therefore that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So so there's a, a, a progression here. He says, be careful how you walk, you want to walk as wise people. And particularly, he'll say, redeem the time that you have because of the nature of the days that exist. So let's look at that aspect here a little bit for a minute. That part of that sentence. He says, walk not as fools, but as wise. Now, believe it or not, God says some people are fools. He's pretty clear about that. Uh, and, and the idea of, of foolishness is set in contrast with wisdom. And the idea of wisdom is, is, as we'll see, the idea of bringing together what we know uh, and carefully and accurately discern the path we should take and make that application be prudent in the choices we make so that we are redeeming our time So that we are doing the will of God and being filled with His Spirit, verse eighteen. As we go on in that text, let me just illustrate for you briefly. And you know, this could be a whole study, and I recommend it. I recommend you take some time to go to Proverbs three and read through the third proverb, the third chapter of Proverbs, because it is a very practical guide to wisdom. As the father exhorts his son to be obedient to, from his heart to the commandments that he set before him. That, that wisdom would be found in kindness and truth. Wisdom would be found in a life that trusts in the Lord. Wisdom would be found, verse 7, in humility and reverence, fear of God to depart from evil. That's where wisdom is going to be found. Wisdom is found in honoring God with your possessions. Verse 9. Wisdom is found in accepting discipline, the discipline of the Lord, verses 11 and 12. He says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom. Well, he's been talking about wisdom. Wisdom becomes very practical, you see. Be careful how you walk as wise. Wisdom has to be applied, it's not theoretical, it's not philosophical, it's not intellectual, it's practical. It's taking an understanding of truth and then applying it, practicing it, living it in a walk that's careful, that's circumspect. You see? That's what He calls us to. And He goes on in that text to, to make more applications of, of what it means to really find and live in wisdom. and And it, it's a very practical thing. That's what... One, the Apostle is calling us to here. So when he says, don't be careless, he's saying, be wise. So, thou shalt not be the one thing and thou shalt do this. But it's our choice. We have to choose what we're going to be, wise or foolish. Now, he, he warns us, don't be deceived. you know, Because it's very easy to be wise in our own eyes. It's very easy to be content with the wisdom we hold within ourselves and we, we hold as, a, as, as uh, you know, what, what, what we conceive, what we believe. And, and, and so he says, be, be careful. Look at chapter 5 back in Ephesians in verses 5 and 6. He says, this you know. Now here's some knowledge. He says that you have that no fornicator nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. It is not wise to live in fornication, in moral uncleanness, in covetousness, in in idolatry. By the way, covetousness is idolatry. He, He says, don't be deceived, because the world has a message that it is perfectly acceptable. To live in fornication, in sexual immorality, in, in, in impurity, in covetousness. But he says, God's wrath is upon the sons of disobedience. The world says disobedience? No, that, that, that's too restrictive. That, I don't want any of that Bible because it says, don't do this and do that. Don't be deceived. That's not the message of God. That's the message of sinners who love their sin rather than love God. So he says, be careful. brother. We we can be deceived thinking we're wise when we become fools. If we're not cautious and careful and looking very thoroughly about and within ourselves and looking about to be sure that we pattern a life that's in harmony with the will of God As he'll go on to say, redeeming our time. But by the way, in that same verse, he goes on to say, so by... Not being deceived, don't be partakers with them. When we refuse the deception of sin, then we must practically refuse to partake with them in their sin. Don't be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, we were there once. The Gospel called us out of that darkness into the light of God. So He says, now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Children of light, walk carefully, not carelessly. How's that? Well, here's how. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out, discerning, grasping what is acceptable to the Lord. We choose to find out what pleases God, and we walk in that light. We live that path. That's walking circumspectly and being wise in our lives. He says, "Walk carefully, do not walk carelessly." Why? He says, "Because the days. He says, Redeem the time because the days are evil. We have to redeem of course means to to, to to buy up the opportunity right to rescue something from loss to to redeem it, to buy you have an opportunity here to walk in wisdom. You have an opportunity here to, to be wise, so use the opportunity. And the reason is because the days are evil. Now the word evil here is the idea of hurtful. Uh, the days Look at the evil effects, uh, the troublesome effects and influence of sin. Living, for example, verse 5. Living in those sins will not only cost us our souls eternally, it will cost us the joy and happiness and contentment and goodness and righteousness now in this life that God wants us to have. So he says, use your opportunity, buy up, redeem the time now because the days are hurtful. There's influences around us that that would try to destroy us. Jesus he used a different word but he said he said in Matthew 6:34 uh do not be anxious for tomorrow uh, for the anxious uh, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself uh, he says every day has its own trouble something that, that that that's a paraphrase sufficient for the day is its own trouble Trouble is a different word, but the idea of, of trouble here is that idea of of each day brings its element of chaos, its element of trial, its element of temptation. So, so don't be anxious for tomorrow. Let tomorrow, tomorrow take care of itself. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness today. He says, redeem your time now. Uh, and not be drawn uh, away into into uh, uh, into, the, into the sin of the moment. Time's a tool; it's a tool at our disposal. God blesses us with James four verse fourteen says, um, "Come now, you that say today or tomorrow we'll go to such a city, we'll spend a year there, we'll buy and sell and make a profit. But you don't know what will happen tomorrow. You don't know about tomorrow." What is your life? You're a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Our, Our life is uncertain and it's brief. The time that we have now is a blessing. It's a tool. It's an opportunity. So buy it up. Redeem it. To walk in wisdom. Because there are evil influences that would try to draw you away from the wise life to the foolish walk. That will destroy your soul. Look at Ecclesiastes 11, just to illustrate the point. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, in verse 2, it says, give, give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. There's the idea of evil, or calamity on the earth. Now, what does that mean? Well, it simply means do good while you have time to do good. You have time now. You don't know what evil's going to be on the earth, what is going to come. So give, give now. Do good now. Look at verse four. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who re- regards the clouds will not reap. You know, if you get so consumed by, you're going to observe every wind, and there's going to be, you'll never do the work you need to do. You'll never reap what needs to to be harvested. Buy up the opportunity. Seize the moment to do good. To walk in wisdom, not in foolishness. That's what Paul's telling us. That's what God's telling us. Do not walk carelessly through this life. The choices we make of right and wrong, of truth and righteousness, will bear fruit into eternity. But if we choose to disregard the wisdom of God, for our own wisdom, we show ourselves to be fools. And we will reap what we sow. You see, fools plan for the future without having God in the present. And that's the tragedy of it all. In Luke twelve fifteen through 21 the man who said, you have many goods for many years, he's illustrating covetousness. He said, Take your, you know, what all i do? I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger barns. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said, You fool, tonight your soul is required of you, and the things that you prepared, whose shall they be? Such is the one who is, who is, who, who, who um, is, uh, who lays up treasures on earth and is not rich toward God. You see, The fool plans for the future, but God isn't in His present. When God's not in our present life, in our moment, now, what kind of future are we planning? Whatever future we plan, if God's not in the moment, in the present, then it's futile. It's futile. So, don't walk carelessly. Put God at the forefront of your life. Seek His will. Redeem the time. To be wise in the choices you make. Well, okay, do not be unwise. You say, oh, Paul's being redundant. Yeah, he's kind of being redundant. <laughs> Holy Spirit, I said, you know, sometimes God has to tell us things over and over. After all, we have to do that with our children, don't we? We need that from God. We need God to tell us over and again. Don't do certain things. Do not be unwise. See in verse 17, therefore do not be unwise. Okay, I'm telling you, don't be a fool, be wise. Now he says, I'm going to reiterate, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You want to be wise? Then understand the will of the Lord. Now, the will of the Lord has been revealed. Chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Paul himself said, by revelation, he made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in a few words or I have previously written already. By which, when you read, you can understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ. The Holy Spirit had revealed truth to the apostle, and he wrote it. He preached it. And he wrote it down. He wrote it to these Ephesians so they could read it and they could understand it. Now he says, "Don't be, don't be foolish, unwise." That's a, that's just another way of saying, it. "Don't be foolish." Don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. You know, a lot of people say, well, you can't really understand the will of the Lord. I mean, who's to say what the will of the Lord is? Well, the Lord is who to say what the will of the Lord is. You know, when you write somebody a letter, don't you expect them to be able to understand what you wrote? Probably you do. So why would we think God would write us, and then, but write us in a way that, that we can't understand it? And that He wouldn't really expect us to understand it anyway? He does expect us to understand it because it is understandable. But there are several elements to understanding that deserve our attention. Look at them with me for a moment. One, one element of understanding the will of the Lord is comprehension. In other words, we have to begin by acquiring knowledge. We have to, to no longer be ignorant. Now, to be ignorant means without knowledge. It's not to be a slur or a derision or a derision. Ignorance is without knowledge. So, so I need to comprehend what God has written, what God has spoken. You know, I remember being in school and we would have reading comprehension. Right? You, you'd be, and you'd be tested on reading comprehension. They'd give you a paragraph to read or a short story to read and then they'd test you on what, the, what was in that reading. Did you comprehend? Did you grasp the information? Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Before we can do them, we have to know them. We have to comprehend it. We have to grasp the information. Okay? We just, I have to know I'm a sinner before I can do anything that God says to do about it. I've got to comprehend. I've got to grasp. That fundamental knowledge that I'm taught in God's Word. Just to illustrate the point. Well, that's that's a beginning place, but that's not the end of understanding the will of the Lord. Then there's there is an element of discernment. That is now we're the idea of applying the information. We're going to have to become skilled, wise in applying the information that God has revealed to us and that we have acquired an understanding of. In 2 Peter 1, uh, Peter wrote, "...grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue." So, So he is praying that knowledge be increased, verse 2, because God, by His power, has made the things we need for life and godliness known through knowing Him, through a knowledge of Him. Well, is it just by acquiring information that I have life and godliness? Well, no, the demons believe. James 2.19 says. So, so they, have not, they have information. They comprehend who Jesus is. But we need the discernment to apply the truth that we come to know. And he goes on to make that point beginning in verse 5 of that first chapter of 2 Peter. He said, "...also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and self-control perseverance, and perseverance godliness, and brotherly kindness and love." Now, he said, you're going to have to take what you learn... And you're gonna to to start putting that, adding that to your faith. Equipping your faith, growing, comprehending, and then discerning where it's to be applied in your life. Don't be unwise. Be careful how you walk. You gotta know where the truth applies and make the application, and that's the third element of understanding. He says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. I grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Because when I, when I apply the information that God has revealed in His Word, I can know the information, but if I don't apply it with discernment, then I really don't understand it. I'm really not understanding. Look at, look at Philippians 1 and 9. Paul says, I pray. Paul's prayer here is that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Here's our thought of discernment now. Why? That you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may make an application to approve things that are good. And that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So that you can escape sin and be approved when Christ comes back. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God, so that your life can bear the fruit of what is right, fruit of righteousness. When God says, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, He is calling upon us to know the information, but to have skill in understanding it so that we apply it in our lives, that we live it, walking carefully, not carelessly. You see how they begin to fit together? When we understand truth, then we can carefully walk in a way that is going to be wisdom rather than foolishness. So, if you want to understand God's will that way, you need an open heart to start with. We all need an open heart if we're going to Understand the will of the Lord, and uh, Jesus taught the parable of the of the seed in the soils. And in Mark fourth chapter, he said some of the seed fell on the wayside. He said the sower sows the word, and these are the ones on the wayside where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. God wants His word to. To, to, to penetrate our hearts, but if, we, if our heart is closed, if our mind is closed, it never will. And we never will understand the will of God. That's, we're going to have to have an open heart and a will to do God's will. Jesus said, if any man wills to do His will, that is the Father's will, he shall know of My doctrine, whether I speak of Myself, or from Him who sent me. We have to have a will, a desire, determination to do God's will. So, if I really want to understand God's will, i got to want to do God's will and have an open heart to listen to what God's Word says. When Peter started preaching in Acts 2.22, he said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus said, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen to what I have to say. He said, when you read what I wrote, you can understand my knowledge. Listen. Don't go with a preconceived notion. Don't go to search out and prove what you've already decided. Truth is. Listen to the Word of God so you can live it. You can use it to discern good and evil. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14. This is the, 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 uh, the element of spiritual growth. He rebuked them because they hadn't grown as they should because He said, He who only partakes of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe." Unskilled. Why is he unskilled? Verse 14 says, Solid food belongs to those who are of full age, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. We've got to be using the Word of God to exercise our senses, to sharpen our perceptions, discernments. The, 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 the spiritual discernment Paul talked about in Philippians 1, 9, 10, and 11. To choose what's excellent and to be void of offense. You want to understand God's will? For any of us, all of us, Here's what we, we've got to have an open heart and a will to do God's will. We've got to listen to what the Word says. Commit ourselves to using it, living it, to know what's good and what's not. Well, let's go back to our text. The third thou shalt not, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Intoxication. Obviously here he's speaking, he's warning against drunkenness, do not be filled with intoxicants, because he says in that, as we all know, there's a loss of self-control. There's a loss of the ability to make wise, sober decisions. Sound judgment, sober-mindedness is removed when, uh, as one drinks intoxicants and uh, he says, "In it, there's there's riot, there's waste." You know, someone told me recently. He said, "You know, a, a drunk aims a car. He doesn't drive a car." You know, and that's that's probably of the problem. The, the, the fellow who's been drinking. Right, and by the way, you don't have to be, uh, uh, what's that term, skunk drunk, to be to be intoxicated, right? Uh, but you know. You know, you know, a buzz. You know, the buzz of of drinking. Well, that's the start. That's the beginning of this intoxication. You know, Uh, you you lose. You lose the ability to 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 not just physical abilities, mental capabilities. You lose self control. You're not sober thinking any longer. And remember, we're being taught to be wise, to understand God's will, to not. Ingest those things that destroy that wisdom, that sound judgment, that that good reasoning and righteous uh, conclusions. You see, intoxicated living is not watchful activity. It's not daylight activity. Those who are drunk are drunk in the night. Paul said in First Thessalonians five. But we're we're children of the day. He said First Thessalonians five six. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk are drunk at night. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So we're called to be sober, not intoxicated, not filled with those things that destroy sound judgment, self-control. He said these things lead to dissipation. He said the idea of dissipation is excess, it's riot, it's debauchery. The King, New King James says dissipation. Here's some of the other versions. Uh, the idea of ex- drunkenness brings excess. Proverbs 23 describes that quite vividly. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and so God's Word warns against that. It is a lack of restraint and wastefulness. Titus 1 and verse 6, that the riotous living there uh, is not to characterize the children of the elder, he says. Or 1 Peter 4, verses 3 and 4. You see that we're called to put away uh, lasciviousness. He said that this is the way of the Gentiles. Look at this, uh, this passage in 1 Peter 4. He says in verse 3, we have uh, we have spent enough of our we have spent enough of our past life in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness that is lasciviousness that's a lack of restraint lack of moral restraint lusts drunkenness revelries drinking parties abominable idolatries in regard to this they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation there's our word speaking evil a flood of wastefulness. Of a, a failure to be restrained. See, drinking, drunkenness is a clear evidence of a failure to restrain oneself. In what is moral, and what is wise, and what is sober. Now, it's the same word in Luke fifteen thirteen, when the son. Uh, he squandered his livelihood on riotous or on prodigal living, on wasteful living. Prodigal means wasteful. It's the same word that's used in Ephesians 5 and verse 18 dissipation. He, he lived this, uh, this unrestrained, morally uh, lascivious life, and, and he squandered his livelihood. We squander our lives, our 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 life with God when we when we live the unrestrained moral excesses that we see all around us in the world. He says, "Don't be drunk with wine; that just produces this wasteful, wasteful debauchery way of living." Instead, he says, "Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit." Now. Uh, that's a whole study in itself, isn't it? How do you, how, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, first of all, I know what it does not mean. It doesn't mean just as long as I feel warm inside, I have the Spirit of God. I know it doesn't mean that. Proverbs 14.12 says, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but at the end there are the ways of death. So I can feel, seem right, it can feel right, it can seem right to me and it leads me to death. So I know that, that a warm feeling inside me is not... Not evidence of the Holy Spirit inside me. Jeremiah seventeen and nine warned about it. In that passage, Jeremiah said, "The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it?" Now God has done something much more clear than, than saying, "Just rely on your feelings that I'm with you." And yet, that's how a lot of people that's how a lot of people conclude that God's with them, that the Spirit's with them, because they feel they feel the Spirit. They forget that there are deceiving spirits, as well that we're warned about. Second Thessalonians chapter two. I know that being filled with the Spirit is not—he's not talking about being filled with the ability to do miracles. That ability ended in the first century. The apostles gave those powers to those miraculous spiritual gifts to Christians, but they ended when they fulfilled their purpose and the completed revelation was was given. 1 corinthians thirteen eight through ten there are not people walking around today working miracles and being filled with the spirit that's not what the Bible teaches that's not a correct understanding of the will of the Lord, but if you look at this scripture and the parallel accounts, it becomes evident that to be filled with the spirit was to be filled with the revealed truth the spirit gives. The parallel account is Colossians three sixteen when it says. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Even as in this passage he said, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing making melody in your heart to the Lord. You put those together, and it's undeniable to be filled with the Spirit, Be filled with the Word the Spirit gave. It's the Holy Spirit that revealed truth to the apostles. Paul said, I received it by revelation and when you read it, you can know what I know. You can understand my knowledge. So now he said, instead of filling yourself up with intoxicants that produce waste, fill yourself up with the Spirit of God. Fill yourself up with what He has provided you. He's provided truth. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you, apostles, into all truth. He guided them into all truth so that they could preach it and write it. And when we read it, we can have all truth. We have it before us today. We can be filled with it. Fill yourself with it. Why do that? Why be filled with the Spirit? Verses 19-21 through tells us that. Just look at this final chart on that point. Why be filled with the Spirit? Well, first of all, to participate in Spirit-filled worship. When we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord, that is Spirit-filled worship. Be filled with the Spirit. We are being guided and directed by the Spirit of God to offer this this worship in song and praise, and, in, and as well as exhortations to ourselves, Colossians three and sixteen. So to be filled, we we need to be filled with the Spirit, filled with the Word of Christ, so that we participate in worship. Surely, you see, when we have the Word of God in us, we we want to worship God. Could it be that our tardiness to worship? is that we've not been filling ourselves with the Spirit of God as we should when it's easy for us not to worship? Could it be that we've not filled ourselves with the Spirit of God, with the Word of God, as we should? He said, do it so you can participate in Spirit-filled worship. This is natural outgrowth of being filled with the Spirit. Secondly, he says... Do this to express Spirit-guided thanksgiving. Giving thanks always, verse 20 says, for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be filled with the Spirit so you can live a thankful life. Be thankful. And then, be filled with the Spirit in order to offer Spirit-directed service. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another. Reverent submission to each other as we bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. You see, you look, at, you look at that fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 3, and you see that it engenders this submission to one another in the fear of God. Love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such there is no law. That fruit submits to one another in the fear of God. That fruit yields thanksgiving to God and gives him the worship he is due. So the apostle has said, Do not walk carelessly, do not be unwise, do not be drunk with wine. If we're going to do the right things, we must also not do the sinful things. Ephesians 5 and 27 will go on to say that it is that Christ. As Christ will that He might, and what He has done in sanctifying us through the cleansing of the washing of water by the Word, that He might present her, that is, present the church to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Christ has accomplished His work to call us out of sin, so that we will be holy and without blemish. But if we're going to be holy and without blemish, then we've got to not do some things that would. Put blemish upon us, that would put sin in our lives and cause us to be lost. But instead, let's walk carefully. Let's understand the will of the Lord. Let's be filled with the Spirit. And that way, produce the fruit of righteousness that God calls us to do, to, to produce, bear the image of Christ every day in our lives. If you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to become one. God's invitation is to repent to be saved. If you'll repent and confess your faith that Jesus is the Son of God, if you'll be baptized into Christ, He will save you from your past sins and He will add you to His church. If you're a Christian and you haven't been walking wisely and redeeming the time, if you haven't been understanding the will of the Lord and being filled with His Spirit to do His will, then we urge you to repent. We want to help you accomplish that. Jesus says if, if we will... And His apostles say if we will confess and pray to Him, He will hear that prayer and He will forgive our sins as Christians. We want to encourage you to be right with God. we want to help you accomplish that. Won't you come while we stand and we sing?